2: Thank you.
3: the studio scene. See, si, senor. It's a dimly lit room. You know where we are? Deeper than the bowels of the Armstrong and Getty Communications compound. And hey, everybody, today to kick off a brand new week, a week pregnant with possibilities. Is this the week you get the big promotion that you meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright, Or is this the week it all falls apart? You don't know.
4: Wow. Today,
3: wow. we're under the tutelage of our general
4: manager. Could easily be the Delta variant of the Wuhan lab fever, although I don't want to wear people out with that. Uh, Instead, I'm going to go with the death of accountability. (laughs) One of those theme general managers you love so well, Jack. You're big on that. I, I I think I have identified, with the help of some of our brilliant listeners and some of the folks in the news, the very core failing... Of modern America, the very I've, I've isolated under the electron microscope of my analysis, wow. the very bug that is hurting and killing us, our
3: your, society, your microscope of analysis. Yes, indeed. So I think I saw yesterday that Mississippi has the worst covid situation in America and is now being pummeled by the storm. So that's a it's a godforsaken situation right now. I would say. Pummeled yeah, by a tropical sledding. storm and, uh, and the worst COVID going on right now. Yeah. Um,
4: the microscope of your what? I have identified under the microscope of my analysis. There you go. The very virus that is killing American society. And it is, in short, lack of accountability. And there are a couple of reasons for that, including, and this is one of your favorite themes, Jack, the lawyerification Of America. No doubt about that. It's become impossible to say, and it's leashed into politics in a way that's a little, it's one click over. The idea that you can never say, my bad. What can I do to help? Because you have admitted liability and will be brought to your knees. Mm. So the most decent of human expressions, I have made a mistake, I would like to make it right, has been eliminated from our society, including politics and the military. I think it's incredibly unhealthy. It's
3: pretty good. We should officially start the show. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. On this Monday, August 30th, we're running out of August, the year 2021, we're Armstrong and Getty, and we approve of this
4: program. Let me say in advance, if the show sucks today, my bad. I accept accountability for that. Our fault. Let's begin the show officially now, according to FCC rules and regs at Mark. We have very significant leverage to incentivize the Taliban to make good uh, on its commitments.
1: That interview was disgusting, and the American people have a right to be livid about it.
4: (laughs) We'll play more of that later. Disgusted and livid was our original air names when we got into talk radio.
3: That was, uh, I get, uh, for some reason they look similar and sound similar to me, so I get... Anthony Blinken and that other dude mixed up. Oh, Ben Sass? They could be brothers. No, 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 not Ben Sass. Oh. No, not at all. Ben oh, Sass and Anthony Blinken don't sound anything like at all. They look like each other, though. They, they have the same like feathery hair. But Anthony Blinken and Sullivan are the same human being. I'm pretty sure they go in, comb their hair slightly different, <laughs> and come out with their rambling Ivy League school bullcrap Every time they're asked questions, and I get them mixed up. But that was that was Sullivan Hansen. Is that who that was talking? To? That was Bling it. That was Abe Lincoln, uh, uh, who is our current uh, uh, man in charge there at the uh, Sex States. It's st- yep. State Department, and he was on one of the shows yesterday, and he said just ridiculous crap, ridiculous crap about how where the Taliban has said openly and in multiple occasions, that they plan to make things safe for us and help people afterwards. And uh, and the host comes on. We'll play all this later. The host comes on and says, you don't trust the Taliban, do you? Oh, no, we do not trust the Taliban. It sure sounds like you trust the Taliban when you say they have made multiple statements openly, that they plan to govern in a new way. And then Ben Sass, Nebraska senator who's awesome, came on after it and said, I just got to say that interview was disgusting. From wow. the Secretary of State talking yeah. about the biggest foreign policy crisis we've had in 20 years.
4: Yeah, yeah. Jonathan Disgusting. Carl of ABC made some pretty strong comments too. I mean, it was just. I think what what Blinken was trying to convey is, no, of course we don't trust the Taliban, but we've we've forced ourselves into a position where we have to. We have no other choice.
3: Uh, wait, wait, till you hear it. Um, it's. I, I don't know what they're doing. So we, uh, after 20 years, we're down to our last 24 hours. Somebody's firing rockets at the airport. Five rockets were fired at the airport. They were all intercepted by uh, our super fantastic technology. Only 1,200 people got out of that airport yesterday. There are 15,000 people inside that airport. Wow. 15,000 almost entirely Afghans. Inside that airport, and they claim they're going to get them out, but nobody can see how that's possibly going to happen since 1,200 got out yesterday. Um, by the way, I learned something uh, over the weekend following some of this. All those numbers that you kept hearing out of the White House, big numbers about people flying out, everything like that, they were using the NATO numbers to try to pad our numbers. So they would, when they would throw out the numbers, they would include... Everybody, the Brits got out, the French got out, everybody got out with every airplane that went out of there and throw it into one big pot of numbers
4: for look how successful we've been. Uh, Hinting sort of that uh, we're getting most Americans out or virtually all of them. Yeah. Look at these numbers. Yeah, but So there's a lot of
3: people there at the airport. And, God, there's a story in the New York Times today. Did you read the one about the Kabul University? Uh, no, I have not. All these students uh, that got on these buses and they've been just kind of driving around Kabul for, for for a day and a half trying to get to the airport, but they never could. So they're just constantly like waiting for the right moment when they maybe would open the gate and accept them or whatever. They just kept driving around and driving around Ugh. and because uh, they, they, they feel like they got to get out of the country. Because the Taliban went to the university and uh, closed it down, took down the flag of the university, put up the Taliban flag and made a statement about this is where the Americans trained the infidels to be against Islam or something like that, so they're probably not going to treat college students very well after we're gone.
4: Well, one of their tenets, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you shouldn't learn anything but the Quran. Correct. And uh,
3: they're not going to treat the dudes well, let alone the ladies. Uh, forget that. So all these college students are trying to get out, and the uh, we, we sent out a uh, State Department memo yesterday that no more people are getting in. And they got that on the bus, and the New York Times was there to uh, do the reporting on it when they got the word that, nope, no more. That's it. Doors are closed for good. Good luck out there, college students who made the mistake of trying to learn over the last 20 years. And has been pointed out uh, multiple times, but it's really quite amazing. Uh, anybody under the age of 25 doesn't know anything but... The modern Afghanistan, where it was more, especially Kabul, where it was more or less, you know, Taliban free and you could live a somewhat normal life. They don't even remember it. It's ancient history to them, the young people.
4: Yeah. Yeah. This segment's been heavy enough, but maybe a little later on we can get into Lara Logan's um, piece on the lot of Afghan girls and women. I mean, I know the basic outlines. We've talked about it a bunch of times, but she laid it out in a way. In a very human way, and I found it just utterly heartbreaking. It's just—I mean, again, I don't want to lay that on you all at once, but oh my God! As especially as the dad of two girls, I—I I can't imagine.
3: I—I I can't imagine what these people think of the United States now that they're trapped there. What, why did—why did you come here and do this? And now you're what? What's going? What? What the hell's happening? I'm sure,
4: there'll be plenty of reporting over would... that on that over the next days and weeks. You could argue that for 20 years at enormous expense and the cost of quite a number of lives, we showed them how it could be. Yeah, Yeah, It's ugly, though. And and then yanked it. What are you going to do?
3: So however your weekend was, be thankful you were born in the freaking United States. We got Bill Maher from his Friday night show talking a lot about that. Play those clips later. Talking about, for all you people who whine about America all the time, this has been a really good example of things are pretty good here. We're the good guys. They're the bad guys. Hell yeah. And uh, we're all lucky. How does mailbag look? Oh, it's it's good. It includes a visual aid. <laughs> oh, awesome. Like an is, overhead you know, projector?
4: A little, or A little odd a for cl- radio. A collage? Innovative, idiotic. Eye yeah, of the beholder. <laughs> so that's
3: on the way. we got a text line for you, which is, uh, what is it? 415-295-KFTC. That's a pretty good text line right there. And uh, we'll get you caught up to speed on everything that's going on. Fun, serious, life-changing Joe's General Manager of Accountability. Mm. It'll all play out. Stay tuned.
2: Armstrong and Getty.
5: The Armstrong and Getty Show.
3: We'll have to talk about this later from the New York Times. Britons, unfazed by high infection rates, weigh their price of freedom. Wow. They got crazy. I know they they got crazy COVID going on over there. 34,000 new COVID cases a day. Very high. But the public has moved on and other countries are following suit, says the New York Times. What? European countries? So it's not just Florida and Texas that have decided, nah, we're just going to. Ron DeSantis is a murderer. How many times have I read that? It's Jeez. funny. Britain has the same view. Hmm. And some other countries in Europe. No way.
4: Yeah, yeah. We do need to talk about that. Uh, plus uh, cases, again, I've, I've been reading a lot about the, the COVID, the Delta, and the rest of it. And there is absolutely an industry of whipping up fear slash interest to get clicks. And it's it may be the dominant force in this. Anthony Fauci wishes he was fear-mongering and click-baiting for its popularity. Here's your freedom-loving quote of the day. It's one of my faves. Once again, Dwight David Eisenhower. If you want total security, go to prison. There, you're fed, clothed, given medical care, and so on. The only thing lacking is freedom. Amen to that, General, I know. Mr. President, sir. Mailbag. <laughs> Longtime correspondent C. Busy says every American should tour Bagram Air Base on Google Maps. Just scrolling around the sheer magnitude of the spending. The airfield, its runways, taxiways, parking areas, the aircraft, the barracks, the larger buildings, the prison, the containers, the countless vehicles, the magnitude of activity and dollars spent there is mind-blowing, and it's all for the Taliban now. Yikes. And indeed, we have posted at armstrongandgetty.com, under hot links, or will in seconds, the Google map of Bagram Air Force Base. Cool. Didn't know you could do that. Yeah, it it is amazing. It's a city. Oh, sure. Yeah. Let's see. uh, Dave from beautiful Auburn, California writes, a mother of a Marine lost in the terrorist attack at the Kabul airport called Biden a feckless, dementia-ridden piece of crap, or FDRPC. President FDRPC has a ring to it, don't you think? Everyone should hear her words. Well, everybody is going to hear her words on this show uh, in a little while. We have them for you, uh, or at least I think we will. Feckless. Stay with us. A feckless, dementia-ridden piece of crap. Uh, Moving along, Chuck writes, Guys, actually, there are a couple of people who made this same point, and it's an excellent one, and helps explain, or will help explain, why Biden hangs on well past the point that it's clear his brain no longer works. Guys, when Kamala takes over for Joe, She then picks her replacement, and it has to pass with a majority in the House and the Senate. With the Senate at 50-50 and no VP to break the tie, what happens? The Constitution instructs the Senate to choose a president pro tempore to preside over the Senate in the absence of the vice president. Unlike the VP, however, the president pro tempore cannot vote vote to break a tie in the Senate. Hmm. So presumably the Republicans could play... Uh, obstructionist, and just refuse to appoint anybody, I I would suggest that's not a good look. But they could demand somebody very moderate, somebody very reasonable. You
3: don't pick somebody to be your vice president when you move up from vice president to president?
4: You do, but then they have to get uh, approval. Hmm. So although then it occurs to me, he says, having just started to think about this, the Republicans would probably want them to appoint an idiot. Or, or a way-out-there person who can never get elected. I don't know. I don't know the I strategy know. on that. I'm probably overthinking it. But uh, anyway, so will everybody else, so I might as well. Here's a nice note from Bren, the RN. Here's a uh, problematic program for schools that's been taken over some states. The program is called Second Step, and it focuses on social-emotional learning. Um, and uh, he, he sends along a couple of links, including one teacher's resignation letter. Uh, it is chock-full... Of the critical race theory stuff reduces everybody to their race and, mu- and, and and makes you nothing but a member of your race. Plus, it's very thick with other generations might interfere with the children's learning and development, meaning their parents. Oh. Here's how we get around the objections of the other generations. This stuff, it went to the trouble of putting on some innocent sheep's clothing, but it is crazy. Second step, folks. Look for it in your school. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I hadn't heard of that one. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to save this one because it uh, it's part of the whole accountability argument. But uh, Jeff sent around a more complete list of the Taliban's new arsenal. Thanks to all the gear we left behind slash the Afghan forces gave up. It's astonishing. 22,000 Humvees. Uh, just the uh, total vehicles. Um, it's, in, it's almost 100,000. 65,000 machine guns. Oh, my gosh. How about 16,000 night vision goggles slash devices? We used to own the night. Now they have 16,000 of them. Uh, 360 uh, military rifles, 127,000 pistols, 176 artillery pieces, the aircraft, the helicopters.
3: 127,000 pistols.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And you can't get one here, folks. Try buying one. Try to buy some ammunition. You know what you do? You email the Taliban and tell them, hey, I need some practice rounds for my 45. Maybe they'll sell them to you. I was in my, uh, my local uh, store the other day, my, my gun store. They said, dude, we'd be happy to sell it to you, even with all the paperwork. But we don't have any. We have none. Good Lord. Well, the Taliban does. Look awesome. for them on eBay. Uh, I dug up some more from that New York
3: Times article about all the students that went to Kabul University that didn't make it to the airport on time. They were also informed, one, we can't fly you out, and two, we gave your names to the Taliban, though, so they can uh, so they know who you are and where you are.
4: Oh, So they can go ahead and let you through the checkpoint. Oh, thanks for that. Thanks for that little
3: parting gift as you head out the door. You let them know who I am.
1: Fantastic.
4: the armstrong and getty show aging
3: liberal bill maher on friday night in front of his aging liberal crowd on hbo
6: Blind hatred of America is just as blinkered as blind love. And we we Americans should really get some perspective about where we live. I was reminded lately of every conversation I've ever had with an immigrant, almost all of which, if we got to really talking, included the notion, oh, you people have no idea. All you do is bitch about and badmouth your own country. But if you knew about the country I came from, you'd stop shitting on your own. Now, right? I have never been a rah-rah America type, and in fact, have often made fun of Republicans in the past for being overly sentimental, because they're the ones who tear up at military flyovers and get a boner when the governor of South Dakota rides into a biker rally dressed like a painting of Teddy Roosevelt. (laughs) John Boehner used to cry, cry like (laughs) weep. With the drop of a hat, if anything reminded him of what a star-spangled miracle this country is. If there was a little flag in his club sandwich, he'd okay, lose it. Okay, cut this off. I don't want any of
3: this. I don't want any of that. I don't want any of that crap. Screw Bill Mar on that. I didn't agree with him on that at all. I just really liked the part where he came out and said, uh, you talk to immigrants and they say, you people ought to really uh, enjoy your country and understand right. what you've got here. And the crowd cheered. I thought that was very, uh, very good. Now, the crowd just might be cheering because they're... The stupid crowd and the applause light went on, but uh, well-trained seals. Exactly.
4: No, I think they agreed with them, I, and you know that's that's a very reasoned way to express it. Blind hatred, or blind rejection, or blind bitter criticism, is every bit as indefensible as as the sort of completely blind rah-rahism. Be realistic, and if you are realistic, I think on the other side of the uh, equal sign. You're going to see damn good country trying hard, freeing hundreds of millions of people from the shackles of oppressive government, which otherwise they'd be under. So, mentioned a little bit
3: ago, this headline in the New York Times that struck me, Britons unfazed by high COVID rates weigh their price of freedom. Listen to this. If you're smart, you don't pay any attention to cable news or Twitter. But if you do pay attention to cable news and Twitter, it's... uh regularly when they talk about COVID, it's just how stupid people in red states and their unwillingness to get vaccinated or wear masks and this and that.
4: And Christine Ohm, Ron DeSantis are murderers.
3: Britain is reporting more than 30,000 new cases a day, but the public seems to have moved on. Nearly 60,000 soccer fans packed London's Emirates Stadium last Sunday to watch Chelsea outplay Arsenal. Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical Cinderella made a glittering debut in the West End. On the subway where masks are still mandatory, half the riders are barefaced. All of this at a time when Britain is reporting more than thirty new cases a day and hospitals are coming under strain. Such is a strange new phase of the pandemic. The public has moved on, even if the virus hasn't. And uh, they quote a bunch of people saying various things like this, this professor of epidemiology in, uh, in London. We don't seem to care that we have these high infection rates. It looks like we're just accepting it now and that this is the price of freedom. Yeah! Yeah, yeah. Some people are perfectly fine with that. Like Texas and Florida, for instance. Like, COVID's going to do what it's going to do.
4: How about we live our lives? And I'll take yeah. my chances. Here, here. And especially if you're vaccinated. Why am I giving up my rights? Why am I acting like you people are asking me to if I'm practically 100% protected from any serious outcome? And
3: uh, I'll read this and then I'll uh, move on. Um, some of the attitudes may stem from the fact that Britain's case rate, while high, has not risen anywhere near the level the government predicted when they lifted all the COVID restrictions. See all the ridiculous predictions Anthony Fauci and other people have made that didn't come true. Some may be because Britons are vaccinated. Yeah, vaccinated people aren't worried about it. And fewer fewer serious cases are being reported. And some of it may simply reflect fatigue after 17 months of headlines and stifling lockdowns. Yeah. And so... I just find it interesting, and then it talks about how other European countries are following suit. I think it's interesting that in the United States, we're, we're putting it all on Trump voters for having that attitude, but Europe seems to be having it to a quite an extent. And I saw somebody compare over the weekend Texas and Hawaii to make a similar point about the COVID. Texas and Hawaii have the same infection rate. A blue island that can protect itself from everybody else And it still has the same infection rate as wide open, pew, 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 Texas, where they're just stupid Trump voters and they don't wear the masks. Same infection rate.
4: Yeah, and and I think using the term fatigue really oversimplifies the reason that people are feeling the way they are in Britain and other places. I think it's more just a a continual rebalancing of risk and reward. You have been told that if you take, if you make these sacrifices, if you give away your freedom temporarily, blah, 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 you will see the reward of a COVID-free Valhalla. But as it turns out, no, this bastard's has still hanging around. And it's mutating and it's changing. If you get vaccinated, you're going to be fine. I have rebalanced the risks and rewards. I am no longer willing to do what you told me to do last year. I think it's perfectly reasonable. By the way, a little contrast with that perfectly reasonable britain thing i happen to be uh, clicking around and then on cnn and as as horrifying as i find their air presentation their website is still very popular for breaking news anyway the headline is and this is why i clicked on it what's the risk of indoor dining if you're fully vaccinated here's what one expert says and they go to their go-to uh, disease gal this dr liana Wen. um uh, so anyway, while studies show that the vaccines continue to provide, provide excellent protection against severe disease, the data suggests there may be decreased protection against the Delta variant. I want to talk about that more later. Turns out, not really, not so much. There are many people who are fully vaccinated and want to be responsible members of society. They are wondering what can and should they continue to do? What about getting together with friends, dining indoors, and going to the gym? Can vaccinated grandparents still get together with their unvaccinated grandchildren? Jack, would you like to answer any and all of those questions? Because you know the answer. (laughs) If you're vaccinated, you can do whatever the hell you want. Do whatever f you want. Anyway, but let's go to Dr. Wen. In terms of processing where we are right now, I think people should keep two things in mind. First, most parts of the U.S. have substantial or high COVID-19 transmission as defined by the CDC. We need to think about the vaccine as a very good raincoat. If it's drizzling outside then the vaccines will protect very well. But if it's a constant thunderstorm, there's a higher chance of getting wet. Now, I like a good metaphor as much as anybody. But what do you mean getting wet? Testing positive for three days, but barely aware that anything's wrong with you and ending up perfectly fine? If that's getting wet, I'm not sure I want to wear your raincoat. If your raincoat is not seeing my freaking grandchildren, not seeing my friends, not going out to eat, etc., that the metaphor is terrible because, well, maybe it's actually pretty good. How many times have you been wet in your life? Yeah. Like 7 million? <laughs> so maybe actually, now that I think about it, the metaphor is perfect. Because who gives a s? I almost dropped one. If they're wet, but there. Wait, there's more horse hockey here. Second, we're entering a phase in the pandemic where nearly all activities will have some level of risk. People need to decide for themselves what risk they're comfortable with. I appreciate that point. Um, and then she she goes into the long story short. She's, well, indoor dining more risk. Uh, What's the space configuration? A very crowded, poorly ventilated system has higher risk. Uh, who are you dining with? Do you know How hey, about going hey, to the gym? Is this is a lady. Uh, hey, lady. This is a dude or yeah. a lady? Lady.
3: You know, I never think about any of those things. I go to the restaurant and I eat if it's open. But in some counties, they're not open. But I never think about it. You know, I, I, I've been trying to figure out. a thing, trying to figure this out over the weekend because I uh, I live in a county where things are still pretty shut down, and a lot of it is just personal choice. It's the way people view the world. And then I went over to this other county where we did some stuff, and the restaurants were open, and the kids went to the trampoline place that was absolutely jam-packed. You couldn't walk through there with humans, nobody wearing masks of all ages. Um, then I went back into the county where uh, I wanted to get a pizza at this pizza place, but they're not open. You can only pick it up at the door because they're closed down on the inside. And people talk about the politics of this a lot, but its it's not the politics. I don't think... I think it's more a psychology. Yeah, it's a psychology that goes along, that tends to go along with a political preference. But, Actually, I'd suggest it's a psychopathy if you listen to this freaking
4: Dr. Doolittle.
3: But it's definitely a psychology of, oh, my God, we can't inside the restaurant for some reason here. And over here, They're perf- nobody's wearing masks. Everybody's, everybody's just fine with it. It's just so weird to me. I can't
4: believe that we're this different in our views of this thing with the same COVID around. Yeah, I, I'm I'm picturing a continuum f- from be afraid, always be afraid, be afraid always. I'm so afraid too. I don't give an s about anything. You know, the outer ten percent on each side maybe ought to get a little perspective. Okay, um, and and I see like uh, the vid is ravaging one of my favorite places in the world, central Oregon and and uh, southern eastern Oregon. It's just wonderful part of America and there's a lot of the, you can't tell me what to do because they hate the governor, Kate Brown, who's a flaming lefty, nanny state ninny. Just can't stand her. But if it's that dislike of her that's keeping you from getting vaccinated, I'm begging you, rethink it. Don't don't cut off your nose to spite your face because the the, the risk from the vaccine are practically zero. And the Delta variant is a mean mother scratcher. And so, you know, I would urge you to get that vaccine. But you see, in your town, Jack, people are way to the, I better be careful. I should be cautious and careful and just not take any risk. And, And to me and people like me, that's that's not a very American way to look at life. Come on. Venture forth. You get hit in the face now and again, you get to catch a the, the bad hop or you know a bad break or you you'll try and you'll fail occasionally, but for God's sake, take on the world. And I think, you know, getting back to your Britain story, I think there's more of that attitude. Um What's cut off
3: your nose despite your face? Where would that come from? That's an ancient saying. Well, I know it is, but Do you know the root of it? Were people doing that?
4: Yeah, I think it's... people
3: chopping their noses off and then thinking, oh, damn it. That was a bad idea.
4: Well, that showed your face. How'd you like that face? Ah, yeah, I think it's a metaphor. Don't do more damage to yourself to, like, damage somebody else.
3: We got in this last week because the Brandeis University was eliminating phrases like beating a dead horse and...
4: Skinning More than cats. one ways
3: to skin a cat.
4: Yeah. More than one way to skin a cat. Where, where those phrases came from. I, I don't know. Are you eating cat meat? Or are you crafting a coat out of its fur? What are you doing? Skinning cats.
3: And there's probably one really good way to skin a cat, and you don't need any other ways. There's probably one very efficient. I hate to think about this too much. There's
4: probably one very efficient way, and most people do it that way, I'm guessing. But the point is, you don't want to be doctrinaire about it. If somebody else wants to try a different way to, you know, s- good Lord, skin a cat, <laughs> give them the freedom. That's innovation. Speaking of American principles, let's not all lo- be in lockstep like goose step and nazis. Come on, innovation. Here's a dead cat. Here's a filleting <laughs> knife. You go to work. Oh, there. geez. You took it one step way too far. Did
3: I? Yeah. I apologize. Edit that out for the podcast. (laughs) Our text line is 415-295-KFTC.
2: Armstrong.
3: So the Supreme Court jumped in and said, no, you can't. The CDC doesn't have the power to tell people they don't have to pay rent and keep doing that. The reaction to that continues to be really interesting. Maybe we'll get to that in hour two.
4: Also, I declared our honorary general manager this morning was the lack of accountability. I want to talk about that in segment number one of next hour, some great examples of how important accountability is, and when it's absent, I think there has uh, been a great example of a lack of accountability with this whole Afghanistan thing, and uh, and and people are mad. People are mad. The leadership has been terrible. Uh, speaking of angry people, Kathy McCollum is the mother of Marine Lance Corporal Riley McCollum, who was killed in Afghanistan along with twelve other U.S. service members, and she took to the airwaves uh, in her part of the world to talk about uh, the American leadership. Go ahead, 62.
5: My son was one of the Marines that died yesterday. 20 years and six months old, getting ready to come home for freaking Jordan to be with his wife to watch the birth of his son. And that feckless, dementia-ridden piece of crap just sent my son to die. I woke up at 4 o'clock this morning to Marines at my door telling me my son was dead. So to have her on right before me and listen to that piece of crap, talk about diplomatic crap with freaking Taliban terrorists who just freaking blew up my son and know nothing to not say anything about, oh, my God, I'm so sorry for the families. So my son is gone, and I just want all you Democrats who cheated in the election or who voted for him legitimately, you just killed my son. With a dementia-ridden piece of crap who doesn't even know he's in the White House, he still thinks he's a senator.
4: Yeah, yeah, an angry, angry mom. Uh, There were a couple of women killed in the bombing, too, including Marine Sergeant Nicole G, who uh, grew up and lived you know, very, very near the radio ranch, right next to the town where my kids went to high school and everything. Um, She was the gal, you've probably seen the picture of her in her full battle rattle, all covered with dust, wearing tactical gloves, holding an Afghan baby. And her last message to her family via social media was, I love my job. And, you know, and and that, the one gal's extremely angry, and I understand completely, and I hope her, her... she can get through this incredible pain um on the other hand uh, the the people who were there in that airport and there are thousands of them still american forces are rescuing more lives from the horrors of the taliban than you can imagine and it's incredibly noble work mm-hmm. it's more complicated than that i know but um well condolences to the family
3: yeah that's rough Um, How much time have we got left, Michael, in this segment? I might have something that's the perfect length. Uh, Two and a half. So this came out over the weekend. Kind of interesting. This woman who had an affair with JFK way back in the day has finally decided to come forward after all these years.
4: She's in that doesn't give a damn anymore part of her life, probably.
3: For 63 years, she kept her madly in love affair with John F. Kennedy a buried secret. Now she's an 83-year-old grandmother, legally blind. She's at the end of her life, and she just wants to let people know, I guess. So uh, JFK was a 40-year-old senator in 1958. She was a 20-year-old. He spots her at a fundraiser thing, thinks she's hot, and goes and sits down at her table, starts hitting on her. Anyway, they start a four-year affair in which she's madly in love with him he claimed to be in love with her yeah well and uh 40 and 20 and um as a senator i mean so you're super rich senator then president this continues into the white house oh no boy and uh and then at some point he just he basically ghosted her to use a modern term when uh, he moved on to someone else or was afraid to get caught or whatever just no, just I think, any look at that period of his life, she was probably one of quite oh, a few. Oh yeah. She didn't know that at the time. Right. She didn't know that at the time. That's she was just a kid. Yeah, isn't that interesting though? Just so interesting. That sort of thing he he regularly when you have your list of greatest presidents all the time of all time, he's in the top ten, he's often in the top five. Um if he were president today and got caught doing that, he would get run out of office and be a pariah.
4: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Putting him in the top five is just silly. It is. I think that's baby boomer nostalgia. But but the whole Camelot uh, thing included, you know, hitting on college
3: girls and lying to them about how important they were to you so you could have sex with them.
4: Yeah. He had a line outside the Oval Office. Bill just had uh, Monica. JFK had a line. Now, the the old gal, 83, uh, nearing the end of the race, uh, wanting everybody to know it. Is she just saying, hey, before I go, I want you to know, I hit that. (laughs) I I don't know that that's what her goal was. I I don't blame her. (laughs) How hot was I back in the day? JFK had to have me. (laughs) Of all the girls, he chose me, so just say it. There was no missile crisis when we were together is all I'm saying. (laughs) Mm. <laughs> Excelsior! <laughs> mm.
5: yeah. Oh
4: boy! There yeah. you go, Granny. I got fiber.
5: Armstrong and Getty.
2: TO
5: information.